Hey, it's Allison here. A quick disclaimer. I took a break from this audio platform to explore other distribution methodologies, and I've decided to shift the nature of the Culture Changers podcast to be where entrepreneurs come to build their business through podcasting. So it made sense to return here. If you want to learn more, please check out episode 77 for details. In the meantime, I am re-releasing the episodes aired on the other platform and thought you should know. What has a CEO or a founder done? They've had some sort of comfortable lifestyle where they were doing everything that society said that they should do, and then they took a big risk and they did it their way. 51% of Americans report being lonely on a consistent basis. That rate among CEOs, even higher. If you're looking to make your mark, go to alisonhair.com and sign up for my blog. I send out insightful and practical guidance and get super personal. We're building a really great community and I can't wait to get to know you more. Okay, so let's talk about my guest today. My guest is Chris Shembra. And this was a very, very unique conversation. He is part best-selling author, part dinner host, and part chief question asker. Isn't that a cool name? USA Today named Chris Shembra the gratitude guru. And his book, Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection, was ranked the number two book of 2020 by Forbes. And recently, he was honored alongside... Michael Phelps and Chris Evans and several others as six successful men smashing the mental health stigma by The Good Men Project. And the list goes on and on. He has incredible accolades. And this conversation rocked me. We hear a lot about gratitude being the key to happiness. And there's truth in that. I think that it's been used so much that sometimes it can feel like maybe a little bit cliche. But Chris flips it in a way I have never heard before, and it's changing lives, it's bringing real connections, it's inviting radical empathy, and even doing it not only in a personal setting, but also in corporate settings. So he is changing the culture in such massive ways, and could you imagine the power of that? in a time right now of absolute chaos, in an election year, and in unbelievable division, as the world has gone virtual amidst a global pandemic, how can we connect and not feel so alone? I couldn't wait to talk to him and bring this conversation to you. But what happened here, I was not expecting. I got so emotional, I was shaken up, And even as I listened back, I noticed that I had a really tough time with my own vulnerability. Even though I absolutely love that stuff, I eat it up. I'm a Brene Brown freak. I'll tell you why after the chat, but let's get right to it. Let's welcome Chris Shembra, the gratitude guru. I'm so excited to welcome you on to the show. I'd love to know a little bit more. And before we go into this, I wanted to tell you, because I know you're probably way more familiar with the science behind it than I am. But as I was reading through some of your background and the stories, and especially the virtual dinners that you guys have been coordinating, then this is like a human reaction. But I found myself smiling as I was reading about you. I found myself 
happier. Just thinking and considering and contemplating gratitude. And I thought that was really cool to have that kind of effect. So welcome to the show. Welcome to Culture Changers. Thank you for being on. Say hello. Allison, you know, I, I, I just couldn't be more honored to to be here considering how many mutual friends we have from Atlanta, Dara Brustein, so Natalie Molino, Kate Atwood, Kat Cole, all the great, great folks from down there. So thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Pleasure. So tell me more about gratitude and pasta. Where did this begin? Oh, man. I'll be the first to admit that I have the worst gratitude practice in the world. What? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm good at providing it for others, but gratitude is certainly something that you have to work on so hard yourself. And when you find something that you're passionate about and you dedicate your life to it, it oftentimes loses its effect on you. So I'm really excited to get back to my gratitude practice, learning from you today. But gratitude came into our life about five years ago. It was July of 2015. If you looked at a picture from my life five years ago, it looked pretty good, right? The The resume will tell you that we achieve good things. We receive the accolades of our peers. We inspired millions of people around the world per year. It was a pretty good looking life. This on. is in the theater, right? Your background is, is in. Yeah, this is in show business on, on the back end of theater as a producer or a financier. And everything looked good, at least on paper. But as you and a lot of your listeners know, just because something looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. And I realized that disconnect in July of 2015. I had just come back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there. And when I got back home to New York, Italy literally changed my life. And when I got back home to New York City, realized this is not it. I felt four things that day, lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure. And the last time I had felt those four things, Allison, led me down a deep, dark path of suicide, depression, jail, and rehab. And I didn't want to go back. So I thought back to Italy what was it that changed my perspective? It was the food. So I started playing around in my kitchen, accidentally created a pasta sauce recipe and figured, quite simply, I should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. And we started hosting dinners. A ritual began. People would come over. We'd work together to create the meal. We'd serve each other. We'd drink a lot of wine. We'd have good pasta sauce. And a lot of us would cry. It would literally change our lives. And the pasta sauce was great, but that's not what really was having the impact on the people. It was what we talked about every dinner. And that's the gratitude. See, at that very first dinner, we asked a simple question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? So instead of people asking, instead of us asking people to talk about themselves, we ask people to tell stories of others. And that's where the gratitude came in. So I wonder, how would you answer that for yourself today? Today, if I could give credit or thanks to one person in my life that I don't give enough credit or thanks to? Yeah. I think a guy by the name of David Homan. I first met David Homan 
at a young young uh, a, a group of young uh, social entrepreneurs and philanthropists etc called Nexus Nexus Global Youth Summit he was so generous with his time with his connections with his words of wisdom that conference is actually how I know Natalie Molina and uh, and I think Dara Brustein from that conference as well and then he invited me to participate in another conference called DC Finance. And that's really the conference that gave me my first, the first stages of opportunity and access to a new entree of wonderful, wonderful people. And he's connected me to such great people in this planet. And uh, oftentimes what happens when you're a connector um, is that people forget about you. And I want to always make sure mm. that his role in my life is not forgotten about. That is so interesting. And one thing I noticed, so I've never been to one of your dinner parties. Um, and, and I learned about you through Salesforce, through my employer. And mm -hmm. Salesforce had you speak to not only made it available to all 45,000 employees that are employed by Salesforce, but all around the world um, with the Be Well Together, which is a, a program that Salesforce is putting on multiple times per week and has started from the pandemic of how do you be well together better? One thing I noticed, I was listening to your podcast, 747. What is it? 747? 747 Conversations. Yes, 747 Conversations. So different from the airplane, different from like the 700 Club, the 747 is the time when that gratitude question is answered during dinner, 7.47 p.m. And you had Claude Silver on, the chief heart officer mm, of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, VaynerChuck Media. Uh, Me VaynerMedia. VaynerMedia, Gary V's. She works with Gary V. And what I thought was really interesting is her answer when you asked that question was about her brother. And what I realized... Claude Silver is an amazing woman in business, and it's not always apparent or obvious or easy to humanize people. And the fact that she immediately said her brother and said, you know, my brother and I have a relationship where we constantly bust on each other. We never are like super supportive. It's more, you know, like sarcasm and just cutting each other down. But I want to thank him. And I understood that. I get it. I, I related to that in a way. And I thought, what an amazing experience to be able to not only humanize people that are in this space, but how to do it in a way where you relate. And one thing that's been consistent in your messaging is empathy. And I wanted to understand what empathy means to you and how the definition has changed over the years. Wow. Oh, this is good. Yeah, it, you know, empathy is defined by Roman Krisnarek, the founder of the School of Life and uh, author of Empathy, Why It Matters and How to Get It, uh, defines empathy as the art of imaginatively stepping into the shoes of another person, understanding their feelings and perspectives, and using that knowledge to guide your action. Now, in a business context, to answer about empathy, Empathy is is a, a tool for success and connection because when you can feel like you are being heard, like others are listening to you, you want to do business with them. You want to create a relationship with them. You want to know them for a very long time. So empathy 
requires action to get to it. In our world, gratitude is the tool to get to that empathy. So what happens at our dinners or what happens on our podcast or what happens anytime we give a speech, whatever, and we ask that gratitude question, we're putting people together to share stories that bring up emotion. If you ask someone to give credit and thanks to someone they've never thanked before, you're going to hear stories like uh, their brother, their mother, the, the fact that they didn't start living till their mother passed away, the third grade teacher that beat them, the ex-girlfriend who was uh, obsessed with money and made them realize they were gay, people that failed them, etc. Now, being able to listen to people telling those stories gives you empathy of what they've gone through. And you form a better relationship with them. It's a lot more meaningful to develop relationships in or out of business when it's not based on product or price or how long you've been a client of a firm, but based on, I see you, I hear you, I know we're different, but we can find common points of connection. The cool thing about empathy and gratitude is empathy is giving you permission to accept that you are different. Right. Empathy is not sympathy. Empathy mm-hmm. is not compassion. It doesn't come from looking within. It comes from looking around and acknowledging that I don't have to agree with you, but I see it from your perspective now. I know you a little bit deeper now. And that is just magic. I mean, it, it's got the power to heal broken relationships. Um, and so listening to so many people through the years, right, we've we've used this question to spark over 500,000 relationships. I've heard a lot of stories and it allows me to empathize more with humanity as a whole and understand I'm unique. I am different, but that is okay. Can I ask a question about this? So I've, I've got a lot of different thoughts, so I'm going to try and keep it I'm going to try and keep on task here. So I um, I had stumbled on something similar where I had a, a cooking dinner, like a cooking demonstration dinner. So we had a chef come in and we played this amazing game called Sparked, which um, was developed by a woman named Jen Mazur. Um, she lives in New York City as well. And it's this really cool board game that asks these really interesting questions that are similar around gratitude, but, but bigger, like they, they spark conversations. And I had some moms over and we had this night and it was pure magic, Chris, and every single person cried every single one. And so I would continue to have these dinners and I'm like, I need to do this more. I mean, people are craving connection. And what I think is so interesting is and and the question I have for you, you have an advisory firm that has turned this concept and has scaled it in a way that you can do this for corporations, huge corporations. Mm-hmm. And you've been able to measure the results of people do business with people, not, you know, like they don't, they don't necessarily buy products and services. They buy the relationship with the person yeah. and yeah. hopefully get, you know, good products and services. So how do you break down that wall when people kind of separate the personal with like the personal I can I can get to. But from the professional perspective, 
I think there's the old model and the new model. And the old mm -hmm. model is you need to keep everything separate. You cannot be yourself fully. You cannot show up fully as yourself because you don't want to embarrass yourself. It's a yeah. professional setting. So how do you break that down? And what does that look like? What is reality? How have you shifted the paradigm and perspective mm -hmm. on this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's the acceptance that we aim small, miss very small. We are not going to work with the entire market. You know, if you study the law of diffusion of innovation, you've got innovators, you've got early adopters, you've got mass market adoption, you've got laggards, and then you've got people that'll just never get it. The idea of connecting emotionally to people that you do business with is still kind of new, right? It's, it's not been around that long. So we're still in the innovators or early adopters phase. Mm. So our market size is pretty small. It's only like a couple million companies, let's say a couple hundred thousand companies for all we know. And um, so that's that. And you have to accept that you don't have a generalized service. You have a very specific service. We get most of our business through word of mouth or referrals or through our own podcast or, or LinkedIn Live where we're interviewing these mid-market founders, right? Who make 500 million to a billion a year. They opt in to coming on our podcast or our LinkedIn Live. They opt in to accepting an invitation from one of their vendors to attend a dinner. That's where our clients come from. Someone has opted in to come be a part of this experience. And maybe we only feed 100,000 people a year, whatever. That's, that's a big enough group. That's a to monetize. lot. No, it's a big enough group the, to monetize. The riches are in the niches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't bully people into this. Mm -hmm. I let our brand attract, right? When, when you, a lot of people ask the question, why did you just stick to gratitude? Why don't you do other types of facilitation with different mm. questions? Our whole freaking brand is on gratitude which allows us to own a segment of the market, which means we don't have to chase anymore. People come to us. Mm. It took a lot. It took some hard work, long hours to get that. But how do you break down that barrier? You, you, you rely on case studies such as Salesforce, mm -hmm. right? You rely on studies from a Google, a Stanford, a Harvard Business Review who prove out the statistics of what we're trying to talk about. Right, PwC found that for every dollar you spend on employee emotional well-being, yields $2.30 back in productivity. We're lucky to live at the right moment in time mm -hmm. where people are becoming open to it with the acceptance that we won't reach the masses doing this and we don't need to. Gratitude can reach the masses. Us charging companies to produce dinners to help them bring their people together using gratitude does not. So content can scale. Our services don't have to. I love that too. And I, I think what, so everything, when you think about changing a culture has everything to do with challenging the status quo. So whether it mm -hmm. is through a, a small specialized, specialized segment of people, you're allowing people to be seen and be heard. And I'm thinking about through the pandemic where you guys are no longer at this point able to have in-person dinners around, around the table where people are doing this. 
Tell me more about how you've pivoted to a virtual experience and what does that look like from yeah. connections? Yeah, I I um I think COVID, I hate to say it, but I think COVID is the best thing that's ever happened to us. I agree. I think they'll be really, really ugly in the meantime. But <laughs> I think the the overall grand scheme of things, but tell me why. Because we've been able to serve so many more people. In our previous business model, pre-COVID business model, there were only so many man hours to go around for servicing the client, traveling to the client, communicating with the client, etc. It used to cost an inordinate amount of money to bring us in for a small amount of people. Well, through COVID, through virtual, the whole business model shifted. Mm. It doesn't devalue the experience. But now our team can be in so many more places at once than before. We can be in four different time zones in a day. We can serve more people without it costing an exorbitant amount of money. I mean, like, think about Salesforce, right? 45,000 people getting together to consume content in person at your annual offsites in San Francisco costs what 50, 100 million? I don't know. It's a lot of money, right? Right. But now technology makes it scalable. So it's the exact same thing with us. We can do a hundred dinners in a month for a client because we don't have to uh, they could bring it's it's crazy. They could they could bring more people per experience. And we don't have all the logistics of travel and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's the best thing for our business model, but it, it just scales our impact. I but mean, it's run over Zoom, right? Like Zoom and breakout rooms. Yeah. So, yeah. So essentially, Zoom is our best friend right now until Google Meets comes out with their breakout room feature because Google is a client. But <laughs> um, the Zoom breakout room feature, you're allowed 50 breakout rooms per session which means you're kind of limited the upper limit of how many people you can bring based on that Zoom room capability. So essentially what happens is the people show up to Zoom and we're talking about like our clients are bringing their customers or their teams or their partners, whatever. And so the people show up, whether it's 50 people or 200 people, and they feel lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, overwhelmed, insecure, anxious, nervous, whatever. The first thing we do is take that moral barometer and how people feel. We come into the present and we throw them out into breakout groups. Two people, six minutes. They communicate with each other how they feel. Not who they are, what they do, where they're from, where they're going. One word to describe how they feel. Hmm. And that creates that like energetic, huh, I can be present. This is going to be cool. So then the second act is about looking back into the past using gratitude. So again, we use the Zoom breakout room feature to throw people out into groups of three for 15 minutes. And in those groups of three, that's where the magic happens, all the gratitude. And that we bring them back and we do another debrief. How do you feel? What came up in your group? Give us some, you know, give us some stories, that kind of thing. And then we close the night by talking about values. We get them to write down five to seven values that the people they just gave credit and thanks to stand for. And then they put that in the group chat below because they have an understanding that other people on this call also wrote down similar values that they mm -hmm. did. And they're in the right 
room. And that's it. So it's a 90-minute experience. You can bring hundreds of people for the same price. You bring 30. It's crazy. I think it's amazing. And I'm wondering, how do you get people to say yes to an event like this? So I'm a corporation or I'm an individual that wants to invite some customers. This is kind of out of our comfort zone. You know, we're not, it's not, um, it's not a traditional webinar or, you know, something like that. How do you get people to say, what is, what is the attraction for somebody to say yes, other than not everybody is going to say, you know, I am kind of lonely and I feel like I need to be connected. The, those are usually not the words you you use in a corporate settings, but I'm wondering what, how do you market this? Again, word of mouth referrals is huge. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's no understating that it's, um, it is weird. It, you know, it, it is weird to, to cold outreach someone saying, Hey, are you lonely or disconnected or unfit? <laughs> but the good news is that can come on the back end. If we are doing cold outreach, yeah. we, we lead with two existing markets, team building, client engagement, both mm-hmm. multi-billion dollar industries in their own self. And so we're allowed to reach out to companies saying, Hey, I know all your customer facing events this year have been canceled. What are you doing to engage your customers? Tell us. And they say, well, we're doing webinars. <laughs> or There's a lot know, of virtual events, web, you know, overwhelm. But, right. But if you're just doing webinars and you're only speaking at your customers, then you're missing the entire boat. COVID is the greatest opportunity to pause and to listen. And the brands that do that will ultimately win in the long run because customers are sick and tired of being talked at. So we happen to have invented a model that does the polar opposite. Mm. So we get to go into companies and say, what are you doing to engage your customers right now? Webinars. How's that working for you? No one's showing up or they give (laughs) bad feedback. Well, do you want to try something different? We don't know how. In walks Chris. Right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So what is what if um what is the greatest story that you have heard through this? Tell me more about the experiences because you talked about it in your book. And I was like, God, I could feel it. Like I could feel, I could feel the shift. Yeah. You know, I could feel the shift. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a personal story and a and a case study story because it was actually really freaking neat. Um one cool story was a, a guy, I won't give away the the city or the country or the name, but a guy he he gave credit and thanks to a boat captain that he hasn't even seen in a decade. When he was a kid, he went scuba diving in the frigid North Atlantic. And when he went down to scuba dive, he had a good time. When he came back up, the tour boat had driven away. And here he is treading water, getting cold, about to die, unsure of if someone's even going to even know he's gone, right? Who's going to turn off his coffee pot when he's gone? Like that kind of fear. Mm. Well, the, the boat ended up turning around, came back and got him. The people pulled him back up onto the, onto the boat, dried him off, made him warm, gave him some water, gave him some food. The boat captain then asked him to get back in the water 
pretty much pushed him in the water. Mm. Why did he do that? So that this man wouldn't be afraid of scuba diving for the rest of his life. It was unbelievable. So stories like that came, come up. I yeah. mean, we've had two people come out gay around the dinner table on the same night. We've had people do the craziest of things. Talk about child abuse for the first time. Admit they've abused others for the first time. Some really deep stuff comes out. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing that happens when you ask people to recover these autobiographical memories from their past, two things happen. Either they bring forth some positive memory from their past and the act of talking about it reinforces that positive emotion. If they bring forth a negative story, just talking about it decreases the power that negative emotion has over them. Mm. So it's some extremely cathartic stuff. I mean, literally gratitude is scientifically proven to improve well-being by doing just that. It also rewires the brain. It literally broadens and builds the brain's thought action repertoire needed for positive impact, hope development, optimism, self-efficacy, self-confidence, curiosity, creativity, productivity, all that kind of stuff. So it's actually like rewiring a lot of stuff. But we've had a company, we had a client called us up and said, meet us in London. Let's do a bunch of dinners on a houseboat in the River Thames. And the client brought one of their clients one night. I mean, amongst all the people that they brought, but there was this one client that came and boy, oh boy, he just looked like he didn't want to be there. But he'd show face, you know, the whatever, free meal, whatever. And the guy was grumpy faced in the beginning. When we got to the gratitude part, he actually cried talking about his wife. He even admitted he didn't even see that coming. He thought he was going to hate this experience. In the group photo after the dinner, he's the only one to actually be physically raising his hand of how good of a time he was having. Mm. The next day he walked up to our client at the event he was keynoting and he wrapped his arms around the client. He wrapped his arms around our client and he said, I used to be an enemy of renewing this deal, but now I consider you family. Count us in for the next four years. That's a $1.6 million account. Unbelievable. But I think it, it shows in something that you had talked about in in your own story um, was being the last one to be called to the party. Mm. And I relate to that. I was never a popular kid, uh, believe it or not. I was always a loud mouth. But, but I wonder if people like us turn out to be connectors. But I, I, I wanted to understand or kind of bring up the commonality of that, of how often do you see that in, in, these, <laughs> in this those are our favorite. I mean, that's why I communicate my greatest insecurity in every keynote I do, because there's more like us out there and they need to know they're not alone. See, my greatest childhood insecurity that Allison's talking about is that, you know, growing up, I was always the last one called to the party. My invite was literally always somehow lost in the mail. Mm. I would call up my friends and say, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Say, oh, we're over at such and such's house. You want to come? I'd be the last one there. They've already started the movie. They've already finished up the game. They've already eaten all the pizza. <laughs> it sucked. And that's what drove me to suicide, depression, jail, and rehab. That reinforcement of that insecurity over time. 
How did you get out of that? I haven't. Yeah. But that's all right. People with great insecurity, you shouldn't try to avoid it. You shouldn't try to hide it. You shouldn't try to wish it away. It's the most beautiful part about you because it makes you real and it allows you to connect with other people like we're doing now. And the people that are listening to this that are saying, oh my God, I feel that same way. Go out and talk about it. Reach out to Allison or I and say, I get it. I'm not alone. I hear you. So there's a lot of us out there. And that's my total addressable market. Those are the people who used to put on the face. I'll use my buddy, Ozzy, John Ozzy Nelson Jr. Fast growing firm, 1,500 employees, hundreds of millions of dollars a year. It was only about eight years ago that he went from the kid who had to look right, talk right, act right, get all the right this, that, and the other on the resume to actually saying, let me be authentic and admit to people that I've always felt left out, that I've always felt on the outside. Now, Ozzy and I, we only met two weeks ago, but we are bonded forever because we share that same insecurity. And I don't wish it upon anybody to cure their insecurity, just find ways of dealing with it. I've dealt with it in both good and bad ways, still Mm -hmm. to this day. I mean, I cut myself to this day. I haven't gotten over cutting. I'm a cutter, but I'm proud of it because I figured out positive ways of not doing it. That's all life is. Chris, that's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, I I was not expecting you to say you still deal with it. I was expecting Mm. to say this is how this is how I got over it and I'm still actively working Mm -hmm. on it, but I feel like it's behind me. And I think that um, I wasn't expecting that. Look at the personalities of a CEO. What has a CEO or a founder done? They've had some sort of comfortable lifestyle where they were doing everything that society said that they should do. And then they took a big risk and they did it their way. Most of those people have these kind of tendencies. Mm. Right, the fifty-one percent of of Americans report being lonely on a consistent basis, which is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking fifteen cigarettes a day, seven years off your life. That rate among CEOs even higher. Mm. My friend Ned Hallowell, who wrote a groundbreaking book about ADHD called "Driven to Distraction," I forget the number that he found, but X amount of people have ADHD. It's quadruple in CEOs. So these people are born different. They've got high risk tolerance. They don't manage stress or their temper well, but that's what makes them beautiful and brilliant. Mm-hmm. So those are my people. Those yeah. are my people. Wow. I keep thinking about, I, I know the, the phrase is a little bit overused, but I do think that there is validity to toxic masculinity, or even just the culture, cultural expectations of if you are born a boy, a traditional boy, that you're not allowed to cry, you're not allowed to, you you need to man up. And, you know, some of the derogatory words of don't be a pussy, you know, like those kind of things, limit how a boy grows into a man and can fully express feelings that we all have regardless of of where they fall. And very often those boys grow up when they have been limited in those ways and it comes out in rage, in anger, in depression, in abuse, whether it's self-abuse, whether it's abuse of other people. Um, 
And it's really hard. And same with girls, that girls are are supposed to be um, to, to not talk, to not be too loud, to not be too strong, to not be too, you know, assertive and, um, and the names that are called with it. And I, I think that breaking down and part of the reason why I have this show is how can we break that paradigm? How can we provide a place that is safe enough for people to fully express themselves and it be okay? And you having a whole company that's not only helping people heal, but helping you heal and helping you feel not only that you belong, but you allow other people to belong as well, Mm -hmm. I think is a really powerful game-changing space to be in. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, it's, we, we got lucky. I got I got lucky enough to realize I had mommy issues at a young age. I got lucky enough to realize that I'm not as straight as an arrow at a young age. You know, I've done that work. Now our our role is to help others realize that. I mean, the mm-hmm. amount of people so we've interviewed uh you know, a ton of people about this gratitude question and 25.68% of the of the respondents in last year's research study on this question responded their mother my answer would be my mom. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you take a powerful man sitting around a dinner table, admitting that he's not loved his mother enough, or he craved his mother's love a little bit too much. That's some deep shit, mm-hmm. right? They're going to go out and lead differently. They're going to go out and, and, and be more empathetic to those around them. Our dinners, you know, it, it's almost like a, like a fetish, dominatrix bdsm kind of space it's like a a warm bosomy maternal nurturing hug you know one thing you said in your ted talk too is that nature is your nurturer Mm. too nature is a big big bosomy bitch that destroys (laughs) but through her destruction through her wrath communities come together yeah, it's so powerful between that and your TED Talk. And you just, you know, you can't see him right now, but Chris is in this garden oasis that is beautiful. And I imagine it um, it feels really good. What do you know that you wish other people could know? Myself. That's it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a collector of stories. I'm a collector of the human experience. That's all I am, right? I'm a guide not a hero who knows it all, but I know myself and I'm proud of myself and I'm happy with myself. Yes. I cut. Yes. I have a temper. Yes. I'm angry. Yes. I'm weird as shit, (laughs) but I love myself. I got a good thing going on and that's all I wish for others. That's all I wish for others. You are surprising me again, and I'm welling up with tears. I see this. I did not expect you to say myself, but what a what a beautiful, what a generous way to answer that question. We're we're not trained to say those things, and I'm I'm proud I'm proud to have you say that on my show. Where where do you where do you feel those tears right now? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like we all wish people could see the good in us, you know, like we're in a pandemic right now and we're working so hard, so much harder than we ever have to 
figure out where is our footing? Where is our place in the world? And I feel like, and even through these conversations, through my personal conversations, through my own personal journey of the world is changing. I feel like I've changed, but where do I fit? You know, where do I fit in this world? So I think that's where it came from. Thank you for asking. I hear a lot of, it sounds like you're still trying to find where you fit, or it sounds like people aren't seeing what you're bringing into this world. Yeah, that's how it feels. That's how it feels. And, you know, like I think even having a podcast and an identity that um, that I love to bring into this world. I love these conversations so much. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know if I need to know what it looks like. Just keep investing in it. I see you, Allison. I see you. I see your tears. I see your your face, your smile, your body posture. You are a very, very beautiful gift to this world. And I hope that we can continue to support each other and let out the good that we have um, because the world needs more of your energy. That's for damn sure. Oh, I would be honored. And now I'm just, this was not supposed to happen, Chris. (laughs) So how can people find you, Chris? So to all the listeners, obviously find us on LinkedIn, go to our website, but I want you to reach out and I want you to know that you'll always belong. If you're broken, if you've got holes on your resume, if you're lonely, if you need connection, you don't have to admit it to others. Just reach out. Email david at 747club dot org and um we'll take care of you we we, in addition to all the client work that we do we still host free uh, monthly once a month community dinners via zoom 30 to 100 people show up every time they used to be literally four four times a week at the start of covid uh but then we got busy but reach out to david let him know allison sent you and let's get you to our next dinner meet our community know you're not alone and let's really uh let's really find the beautiful stuff that you are all right thank you chris anything else you want to leave leave this conversation with i just want to hug you this is is really (laughs) unfair but soon enough soon enough well thank you thank you so much chris i'm gonna go and cry please do (laughs) and then tell me about it write write me in and say what came up I will. I will. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Oh, man, that was intense and so eye-opening. I realized why I got so emotional. I don't know that I have felt seen in a while, like really seen. I feel incredibly supported through my family and all of my endeavors, but I miss true acknowledgement. And I always think, and it sounds it sounds weird saying it, it sounds selfish to say that, but I always think that if I feel that way, I am never alone. And I imagine it probably resonates with you of really, really feeling seen. And for just that moment, 
I was. And it, it just rocked me. So Chris, I can't thank you enough for that. So hopefully this episode gave you so much to think about. I've linked Chris Chembra's information in the show notes. And you can get his book, Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. Uh, you can even listen to it on audio. It has more surprises in it than an unboxing video. And as for you, I can't thank you enough for your time and investing in yourself. You can connect with me in a myriad of ways, even smoke signals if you are so inclined. I've linked everything for you in the show notes, but please drop me a note and let me know what stood out for you. Or if you have suggestions for future guests or topics, hook me up. You won't believe some of the people that I've got coming up and the topics. I am so excited and hope you'll share this episode as we build this community of culture changers together on BYLR Radio. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.